Hey, thanks for listening to this week's message. We hope that it's encouraging and helpful to you no matter where you are on your journey of faith. We at Hope Church want everyone to have a chance to experience the rich love of Jesus. We are inclusive and affirming towards everyone. And if you're looking for a place to experience a caring Christian community, we would love to have you to visit. You can go to hopechurchrc.org to connect with us. Thanks again for listening. Um, we're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3 today uh, in verse, start at verse 4, looking through verse 14. We were in chapter 2 last week talking about uh, unity within the body and how we should take on uh, the same mindset as Christ who emptied himself, who even though he was equal with God, did not consider that equality as something to hold over people. He didn't consider that as something to to grasp and to use for his advantage, even though he could have, right? And so Paul continues to go on. Remember, he's talking to a church that um, that is struggling with some unity. And, and he encourages them. He gives them some examples of uh, unifying things. And, and the final example he gives... Uh, is of himself, and and not that he's holding himself up to the same level as Jesus. He's just trying to encourage them with some of his experiences, and and we're going to see through some of that today. Uh, the idea that we're kind of wanting to to look into and kind of wanting to hold central is to take hold of Christ and to take hold of a relationship with Him. But have you ever had something to consume you? Maybe it was an idea, a project. You might want to raise your hand and say, I've had something to consume me. It's taken up all of my time. It's taken up all of my thoughts. Maybe it's uh, school. (laughs) Natalie's like, yes, school takes up all of my time and thoughts. Um, At least once a week, uh, Abel will ask, we have school today? Like, again? We've already done this. I don't want to do it anymore, (laughs) right? Uh, I I have several of uh, examples. Uh, in fact, it seems like I have a knack or maybe some kind of disorder of the attention deficit kind uh, that causes me to, if I'm ever curious about something, I can become easily fixated on it for a time. It's quite possible that if it's some sort of hobby or something to do, I will purchase equipment to help me pursue that for a time. Um, and, 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 and it's just as likely that after I have bought this equipment, I will perform all or part of the project, the hobby, whatever it is, and then abandon it. Just never do it again. <laughs> and I get frustrated with myself because of it. And I'll give you an example. Uh, because there are times when uh, the dopamine, which is that, that thing that when you do something, your brain releases and, and it causes you to want to do those things again, um, it's kind of a big part of, of addiction. I'm not saying this is part of, maybe I am addicted. To, anyways, uh, there are times when the dopamine is so intense about these things. For me, I can't do anything but talk about or think about whatever it might be that's occupying my mind at the time. One example, I've got, I have a modest little wood shop at the house, right? It's an old barn. We uh, poured a, a cement floor in there, had a dirt floor, and, and I've, you know, got a table saw, got some tools, um, and and, I, and I've always been interested in woodworking, carpentry, that sort of stuff since I was a kid. Some of my favorite shows growing up. I mean, even from the size, from the time I was like six, seven, eight, were this old house, the Woodwright Shop, the New Yankee Workshop, and and now that I have you know 
growing up resources, I like to do some of those things. I'm horrible at them, all right, but I like to try them. Um, I've made a lot of things. Uh, some of them are, most of them are kind of crude. Some of them are okay, but you know, they're, they're just for us and, and it's fine. But I wanted to make something, uh, more, uh, worthy of the label fine woodworking. All right. And, and if you, if you've looked into it at all, uh, you can make, uh, anything from like some patio chairs, Adirondack chairs. You can make a couple probably on a Saturday or you can spend a month making a small tabletop box. And, and, and there's kind of a difference between throwing stuff together that works and it looks great versus like fine woodworking, right? And, and in my mind, I want to kind of be a fine woodworker. Will I ever get there? Probably not. But that's, I like to enjoy those things. And so after hyper-focusing on the, the idea of fine woodworking and, and trying to figure out a project for a, for a time, I tried my hand at making a cutting board, right? I had to buy some wood, like nice wood. I, I couldn't, I didn't get it from Lowe's. Uh, they didn't have what I needed and I didn't have anything in my scrap wood pile. So I had to buy wood from a company out of Ohio. I didn't have to buy it from there. That's just where I bought it. There are places locally that I found. So anyways, and it wasn't cheap, right? I bought some maple, some cherry and some walnut and I, I got it in. I planed it. I jointed it. I glued it up. I sanded it, I chamfered the edges, I put some finish on it, and it looks pretty nice. There's a couple of little imperfections in it, but for my first one, I'm pretty happy with it. And I gave it to Mary, and she likes it, and I thought about making another one or two out of what I have left of those boards. I could, but I just can't seem to find the dopamine for it since. I may have even told someone that I might make them one, like almost a year ago. And for whatever reason, Every time I think about it, my brain's just like, no, nah, we're not doing that. Let's do this other thing that we've never done before. And starts a whole new chasing a rabbit. It's like something takes hold of me and I can't do anything else. But once my brain is satisfied with whatever that is, I have a hard time doing it again. And it's frustrating because I want to make another cutting board. And, and I want to keep getting better at making them. There are some really beautiful and elaborate styles of cutting boards out there that involve checkerboards and, and all these 3D looking things that you can do. And I want to pursue some of those things, but my brain's just like, no, we've made cutting boards. We're good. We don't need to make any more. Something else will come along and takes hold of my attention and just kind of keep moving on. And maybe you can identify that with that. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe we all need some kind of therapy or, or medication or possibly both. But we've probably all had experiences where something takes hold of us and we have to focus on it and work for it to be completed or it, or it will consume us. Maybe you just call that Monday. I don't know. Uh, but I saw a meme one time that said adulthood is thinking, I just have to get through this week, every week for the rest of your life. Or maybe your thoughts are always, well, after this, things will slow down a little bit. And they never seem to. Anybody else with that? There's always something going on. And in our passage this week from Philippians, Paul is inviting us to take hold of Jesus, to really pursue a relationship with him. But rather than the examples I've already given, this pursuit is life-giving rather than life-draining. Okay? Let's read it together in Philippians chapter 3. We're looking at verses 4 through 14. I had some water. I got it right here. But my throat getting scratchy. 
haven't even opened it. This is awkward. Try not to spill it. Okay, here we go. Philippians chapter 3, starting verse 4. He says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, regarding the law, a Pharisee, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. My goal is to know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Not that I have already reached the goal or am already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, the life of Paul and what, what he wrote to the church there in, in Philippi. I pray you'd help us to absorb what you have to say through your word, both individually and corporately as a group of believers, so that we might uh, take hold of your relationship, of a relationship with you as you've taken hold of us. Help us to, uh, to, to hear what you have to say this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So Paul is continuing on his work from chapter 2, like we talked about last week, calling for unity. And he laid out in this book, in this letter, two specific threats to that unity. There were other Gentiles, non-Christians, uh, pagans who were worshiping various gods and goddesses, and they had a problem with uh, you know, any idea of there being you know, only one kind of true God. And then there were also other believers in Jesus who, who had a strong belief that Christians needed to follow the Old Testament laws, right? Like, like you still had to maintain the dietary restrictions and, and worship on the special holy days and all those things. And he gives three examples of, of unity that they can take as examples to follow uh, to, kind of, to kind of combat against those, uh, um, those threats to unity, right? The first one is Jesus, and he's the most important one. He is the biggest example of unity. And we talked about that last week, how even though he was God, he gave up any rights or benefits that he had so that he could become like us to make a way for us to have a restored relationship with God. And in doing so, the promise is that every knee will bow and every tongue will gladly confess that he is Lord, he is good, he is love. And then Paul gives an example of Timothy and Epaphroditus in chapter 2 as examples of those who were faithful. He says that Timothy and he are like-minded and he knows that Timothy will genuinely care for the church. 
And Epaphroditus cared for the church at Philippi so much that he became ill almost to the point of death when he had heard about what had happened there. We all need people in our lives who would be willing to care for us like that, to truly love us and to be willing to be there for us in a time of need. And finally, Paul gives the church the example of himself, and that's the section that we're in today. And and in this, Paul is rebutting those who said that believers were required to follow the Jewish law. They were basically saying, look, Jesus is wonderful. Jesus forgives your sin, but you also need to add this. We also still need to follow this. And, and, and it's not hard to understand where they may be coming from because they had. this is how God had told them to worship Him. And if Jesus is God, then it does make some sense that maybe we need to continue doing these things. However, uh, as we learn more, we do better. And the, the reality is that Jesus is enough. His sacrifice on the cross is enough for us to have a right relationship with God. His resurrection is enough for us to have a renewed life. And we are no longer subject to those dietary restrictions and all those things. Our only um, thing, the only law that we are subject to is the law, the command to love one another. And that's it. So Paul's basically saying, look, if you think that this is what we should do, let me lay out some qualifications to show you that if anyone um, has authority to speak on this matter, it's me. I was born out of the tribe of Benjamin, he says. I have a, a real family connection to this group of people that you were talking about, to this religion. I am, he says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. If anybody could ever say that they were part of the Jewish faith, Paul was. If, if nobody else could, he could. So much, in fact, that he zealously persecuted the early church before his conversion. He's basically saying, guys, I was one of you. I was just like you. In fact, I was the, the top of the top. I was, I was the best of you. It was who I was. I identified with my old ways. I identified with the rules and the regulations that only really brought about death. All of us have an identity that we identify with. For instance, my dad is a machinist. He worked for 30 years with Torrington and then later Temkin after they, uh, they you know, sold out. Um, it's a big part of who he is. Uh, if he ever meets somebody, there's a 97.2% possibility that he's going to talk about what he used to do for a living. He loved it. Even, even when it was bad, he loved it. It was a big part of who he was. My mom will get flustered if he ever talks to a stranger because more than likely he's going to bring it up to him. Oh, he's talking about Torrington again. He's talking about Timken again. And I think to myself, you know, I do that sometimes. I do that a lot. I identify myself with my line of work, just kind of like Paul was doing as an educator and also as a pastor. When we care deeply about something and we spend a lot of time doing it and we think about it a lot, it's natural for it to become a big part of how we view ourselves. And Paul was that way until he met Jesus and his world really changed. He didn't only identify righteousness with God as following these rules or regulations. And he didn't view it as only being available to those who were of his uh, genetic line, who were, who were uh, genetically Jewish folks. Now he knew that salvation was available for all through Christ Jesus. 
And he took hold of that relationship and it totally changed his outlook. In the next few verses, he says that he counts everything he had going for him, even though he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Benjamite, a Pharisee, zealously persecuting the church. He had all these wonderful things going for him. He said, I count it all as loss compared to the value of knowing Jesus. There's nothing in my life, nothing going on, no matter how privileged or, or, or wealthy I am, no matter, no matter what my station in life is, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. For Paul and for us, Jesus is worth our pursuit. He is worth our time because He helps us to see who we are, who we really are. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about sinners in need of salvation. Yes, we are that. I believe that. But who we really are in Him are people who are loved. We're loved by His by our Creator. We're deeply loved. More than we could ever ask or imagine. And as we identify and we grasp that love, it helps us to do the same and have the same love and the same unity among those who we are around, even those people that we may not get along with. Because Jesus said things like, love your enemies. Pray for those who may persecute you. He said to forgive those who hurt you. Not just seven times, but seven times, 70 times, which is also not 490 times. It's an infinite. You keep forgiving because you have been forgiven. Not that you continue to place yourself in harm's way. If you're in an abusive relationship, please get out. But forgiveness is available through Christ. And those are super hard because they're part of being, uh, but they're part of being in super healthy relationships with one another. Mary and I just celebrated our 20th anniversary uh, at the end of August, and uh, it's amazing that she is still hanging out, right? Although I've told her time and time again, if you ever leave, I'm just going with you, okay? You can't just get rid of me. Um, we're in this together. I'm in this uh, for the long haul, and, and we have our disagreements. We have, we have times where maybe we're just, you know, not as close as we are at other times, and that just comes with the territory, right? Well, I have to learn to give up my desires and my thoughts sometimes and, and, and do for the good of her, right? Even though I've got stuff going on, but she's got stuff going on too. And she does that. She, she, like yesterday, <clears throat> she, she takes care of the groceries. And I have to tell you, that is a task for me. That is like, I, I don't want to do it. I would rather wash dishes or vacuum, fold clothes than to go get groceries. And she does it. She keeps up with all the kids' appointments. She does. She's had to go toe-to-toe with some pharmacies lately. It's been ridiculous. And she does it on top of her job and on top of everything else and on top of putting up with my mess. And so she gives up her, some of her desires for, for us, and, and I try to do the same, although sometimes I feel like it's, it's way overmatched on, on her part. But uh, it's part of being in a healthy relationship with one another. I'm loved, and that helps me to know that she to, to love her. That makes sense. Paul says that a life lived in pursuit of Jesus is of surpassing value. It's a life that is full of compassion and care for the needs of others. We care about those who are less fortunate. We do what we can to help either directly by giving them whatever they need or indirectly by supporting organizations that help them continually. A life in pursuit of Jesus 
is well lived. In his commentary on this passage, there's a scholar, Fred Craddock, who says that giving ourselves up to God is total trust. We have no claims, we seek no advantage, but it is in service to one another, leaving our status before God entirely in God's hands. And this is freeing. We don't have to worry about whether or not we are accepted or if we are saved because it's not about what we do. It's about what Jesus already did when he gave himself up for us. And we're going to mess it up a lot. Any of you have been there? I mess it up all the time. <clears throat> we'll find ourselves at odds with how others live out their faith and even times our own. But Lamentations 3 reminds us God's mercy is new every morning. He knows we struggle. He knows we're not going to get it right every time. And He's patient with us. Paul says that his goal is to suffer like Christ in verse 10, to be so closely related to Him and like Him that He experiences hardship because of it. And I have a little trouble with this verse, if I'm being honest. Not, not that I disagree with it. It's just sometimes internalizing this idea is a struggle for me because I feel at times that the modern American church can have a persecution complex. And unfortunately, beautiful passages like this can feed it. So I'll just say that if we follow Jesus closely, it's likely that we're going to experience some pushback, maybe even from ourselves. This is something that you're going against that you've been taught since you were a kid. Well, I don't really believe it that way anymore. It's not that I totally have abandoned all of the gospel. I just see things a little bit differently now. Maybe we may get some external pushback. And it's not persecution, though. It's just disagreement. None of us in America are being harmed because of what we believe. Sadly, reports show that the harm is increasingly coming from the church. Reports of sexual assault from church leaders are on the rise and news of church leaders covering up sexual assault is coming out more and more lately. But I have found in the past few years, the more closely that I have tried to follow Jesus, the more distant people become that I used to worship with. And that is what it is. It's not persecution, but it is a thing and it hurts. And so in times like this, we do what Paul says in verse 12. We make every effort to take hold of Jesus because we have been taken hold of by Him. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. I've come to, to different views of many things in the past several years as far as what salvation really is, what does it actually mean, what is the creation of the world all about, um, um, what's the, the future times like, and all those things are secondary to the value of knowing Jesus. I love to talk about them. But I hardly ever will talk about those things up here because they're not the most important thing. Jesus is still real and true to me. No matter how much my views might shift on other things. Because He's taken hold of me. And it's made all the difference in my life. Even when I've been difficult with Him or I've been distant from Him, I've been angry, maybe lashing out at Him because I was hurting. He was there. Always with comfort, peace, joy. He's been patient with me when I definitely did not deserve it. 
and he's been there for me in everything that I've been through. I've had a good life. It's not a life of hardship, but everything that I have had to deal with that has been hard for me, he's been there. And he promises to always do. And because he's taken hold of me, I want to do everything I can to take hold of him. Not so that I can earn his love, but because I already have it. And I will never lose it. And I get it wrong, but he's good. So I want to leave you with this to encourage you today. Take hold of Jesus. Not, not all the baggage that, that some you know, churches or some folks, and I never want to make this about our church versus other churches, but it does happen. There are some groups that would say, oh, you need Jesus and, 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 and all these things. Take hold of Jesus. He'll help you figure out the rest, right? Study his teachings. Put them to use in your life. Cling to a faith in him because he will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. No matter what life has done, no matter where you've been, where you find yourself now, the hurt that you may have experienced, Jesus is here. He can help you through your pain. He wants to rejoice with you in your good times. And in verse 13, Paul gives us some final kind of instructions for how we can more easily take hold. He says, forget what is behind and reach for what is ahead. It's not a life of rules and expectations. Taking hold of Jesus doesn't come with um, a a list of, of things that we have to follow to keep his love. It's a life of freedom to worship God, to love one another when he, because, he, because He frees us from the bondage of our sins. God's not keeping score of your life. He's not counting up the number of times you got up before dawn and had some quiet time with Him. For me, that would be zero for several years because I just don't get up that early. I do try to spend time with Him regularly, reading, praying, but it doesn't have to be in the morning. It's never going to be in the morning for me. It's more likely in the afternoon or in the evenings. Um, but we can push forward because God has already taken hold of us. It's not about what we can do. It never was. It's always been about what he, what he sorry, has already done and will continue to do. So as we go out in our lives this week, the challenge is take hold of Jesus. Grab on to the love and the grace that he has, whether it's the first time or for the 100th time or for the one millionth time, whether we've stumbled and we fell and we've come back to him. He's helped us to get up. The invitation and the love is there. It always has been, and it always will be. During our final song this morning, whatever your need is, you can bring it to God. I would, of course, be happy to pray with you uh, if you would like, or you can always just speak to Him right where you are. Either way, take hold of Him today as He has already taken hold of you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your great love, your great mercy. Help us today to take hold of a relationship with Christ, to internalize it, to live it out in our lives as Christ commanded us to love you and then to love others as we love ourselves. Help us to feel loved so that we can more easily love others. Give us strength where we need it and grace when we fall. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.